All right, I, w- I want to do this. Um, back in May, we had a newcomer's dessert get together here, share the mission, vision of our church and all that. If you're in here this morning, you were at that dessert, but you weren't here last week. Okay, you were at the dessert, a new person, but you weren't here last week. I want you to stand up. I think there's a few people. Hannah, Durant, you guys weren't here. All right, cool. So here's why I, why I want to do this, because I want to introduce you guys officially so people know your name. So this is Hannah back here. Everybody say, hello, Hannah. Give her a hand. Thank you. Welcome. And this is Steve and Kim Durant. Let's give them a hand. Steve and Kim Durant. So welcome. And uh, if you're relatively new around here in August, we're going to set up another one of those get-togethers. And uh, we just want a a way to kind of get on the same page. And what's that? If you're still here, yeah, if you're still here in August. So. Um, don't forget with the dance team, they put these flyers on the chairs around there. Check those out. Take them home, read them. There's some good stuff there that Cindy felt like the Lord gave her for that. So, um, Hey, um, also, there's a lot of stuff like um, going on in July. Andy's going to Houston, Texas for a week of revival meetings. <laughs> Are you going to be here next week? You'll be here next Sunday, and then you're going to go the next week. Okay, so we need to pray for you and your team next week. Try to get all those guys to come here if possible. And basically, there's this pastor in Houston that got a hold of Andy's new album, and um, they talked on the phone a little bit. He just wanted to come down and part the fire, let the river flow. Now, isn't that exciting? I mean, he's going to Houston, Texas. I wish I could go, but, you know, I can't. So, but... I'm excited for Andy. He's going to be doing like seven meetings. Bless him, Lord. Seven nights of meetings and stuff. So anyway, that's pretty cool. And then Byron is going to be a morning star a couple more times in July. Those are on your uh, your handout there. Andy's going to be doing some worship down there as well. So uh, just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of cool things. So thank you, Lord. Yeah. How many people had a rip-roaring 4th of July? 4th of July, good 4th of July's, yeah. Yeah, we did too. Uh, had such a good time. One of our kids threw up, you know, just ate so much. <laughs> you know, how you're having a good 4th when you eat so much that you, you get sick. It's actually the second time in two years. Uh, last year it happened too. Different kids, same results. But uh, anyway... So, <laughs> but it was good. I, I, I happened to be watch. I was watching during the day the uh, the uh, documentary about the American Revolution on the History Channel. Anybody catch that? Anybody? Oh no. Okay, it's just me. I Don did good. She has, so, no, really, it was good. I mean, my wife watched it, and I wasn't even there. Like when she was watching it, it was good, wasn't it? Anyway, one of the things that I noted on that documentary is um, George Washington. They were reading some excerpts from his journal, and he was talking about how. Basically, shortly after taking over command of the, this Continental Army, he regretted it severely because he examined his troops and they were so poorly trained, so poorly equipped, and so um, either of age or not enough age that he's, he's, he wrote something like, I'm afraid I've made a big mistake. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, and I was thinking about, you know, as Americans today around the world, so many times we want to puff out our chest of being Americans and how powerful and great that we are. But really, the only thing that we have to boast in is to boast in the Lord. Because in those days, our ragtag co- uh, continental militias, our, our co- colonial militias, were nothing. In fact, in, also in the documentary, there was one instance after this skirmish where some Hessian mercenaries and British soldiers came across this group they'd been fighting, and they actually laughed when they saw their faces because they saw a bunch of battered 50-something-year-old guys and then 15-year-old boys that they'd been fighting. They're like, this is what we're fighting? Kind of reminded me of Goliath laughing when the boy came to fight him, right? So it also reminded me of a verse that's going to be in my text this morning. It's in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter, uh, verse 27. It says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are 
so that no one may boast before Him. So, honestly, we've got nothing to boast in other than the Lord did a miracle in the American Revolution. And on this 4th of July weekend, I think it, it's good for us to remember and thank God. Thank God right now that we have what we have. Because there was a, a, a force sent with the British Armada of 30,000 British troops to the coast of New England. It was the largest military unit ever seen going across seas in the history of British warfare. That's what we were, this ragtag group was facing. Not only that, but add on to that the hired uh, German mercenaries, the Hessians. So just the fact that somehow, I still don't understand it on paper, but somehow God orchestrated divine events and divine strategies through, I believe, His wisdom that He gave to men impacted, as Byron's been talking to us about, through the revival of the Great Awakening. He gave them wisdom in order to know what to do and how to respond. So I think that really, I think there's something in that even for us today. By the way, our pastors, Byron and Becky, are at the beach this weekend relaxing and enjoying their holiday weekend, so be praying for them. I think they're coming home today, so that's why they're not with us this morning. But uh, tell you what, let's stand up one more time. I just want to pray right now. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to release your presence in greater measure. God, we ask for you to breathe upon your word this morning. Breathe upon your word. Breathe life. Lord, give us spiritual understanding. Lord, let us understand your thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can sit down. How many dreamers are in here? Uh, people like to daydream, or you, maybe it's not that you like to, you just do. <laughs> if you're like me, even I, I, even from a young kid, even before, as a pre-Christian, you know, I would lay awake at night just daydreaming about either the way God could use me or, I mean, it's even before I was a Christian, or just daydreaming about things that I would do or whatever. And I, I felt like God said even this morning that there's some people in here that you've been dreaming even for your whole life. And He's bringing you into a season He's going to make your dreams come true. It's not just Walt Disney, you know, that prophesied this, but He's going to make your dreams come true. So I just want to encourage you this morning, dare to dream. Dare to dream big. Don't dream small, but dream big. Amen? Let's go for it because God's got something for us there in the realm of dreams. I believe in daydreams, even in the night season. Um, I've been seeing a lot of things. Hey, by the way, next week I'm going to be announcing, Lord willing, the next phase for ministry at Lee Park. So I'm really excited about that. There's some new strategies I believe God's given us there. He's also opening up other doors at the Mooresville Soup Kitchen and some other places where we're going to be going and taking just the ministry of the Holy Spirit and praying for the sick and worship and, uh, and doing different things. So I'm really excited about that. CSM, anybody interested in our school of ministry? You know, we'll be cranking back up after Labor Day in September, but this month, I'm going to be announcing some new shifts, some new plans, some additional things that God's doing with Christ School Ministry. That's going to be really exciting as well. So I just wanted to throw those little tidbits out there to you. Um, how, just out of curiosity, how many people were here two Sundays ago when I gave this message on Christ in you, the expectation of glory? Okay, about half it looks like, maybe a little bit more. I am just, just want to know, because this is kind of a part two to that series this morning, and I, I just wanted to know who had heard part one. But I want to give you a little bit of recap. This one's called Christ in You, Thinking the Thoughts of God. Thinking the Thoughts of God. That's good, isn't it? How many people like to think the thoughts of God? How do I think the thoughts of God, Matthew? Like, what is that? How does that happen? You know, where do I go for that? What class do I sign up for? You know, think of the thoughts of God. Well, it may not be exactly that way. But Paul said that God's wisdom is a spiritual wisdom that is not perceived with the natural man, but is perceived with the things of the Spirit and the deep things of God. You ever thought about that scripture? The deep things. What are the deep things? 
I'd like to know what the deep things are. How about you? Because I don't know. I'm just intrigued by the deep things. I want to go deeper. I want more. I want to go farther. I just want to keep on this grand adventure. Amen? So Christ in you, thinking the thoughts of God. Byron said three weeks ago that God wants to make the body of Christ the envy of the world instead of the joke of the world. Right? It's kind of like those malicious they were the joke of the world at that time of the 13 colonies now the United States of America is in a lot of regards the envy of the world because of what God has blessed us with as we boast in Him if we're going to see such a major shift happen with us with River Life Fellowship with the church universal with the church in America we need a real revelation of who we are and that is that we are possessors and carriers of a living Christ in us. We even possess His thoughts. We even possess His thoughts. I don't know, has anybody ever tried this or just thought about, oh Lord, how can I tap into what you're thinking? I want to give you a few strategies here and a few, few strategies in a minute here. In Colossians 1.27, Paul's addressing, and this is from two weeks ago, Paul's addressing the Colossian church who was battling some of the, the, the strongholds of the, the gods of the minds there in that church. And he says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Everybody say, Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope, the expectation, the certainty of glory. That His glory is poured out, obviously on Christ, but if Christ is li lives in you, then that means you get to share in the glory. The glory is coming on you. And then on in Colossians 2 it says, Paul said, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures. Any treasure hunters in here? I remember as a, as a kid, I used to love to hunt for treasure, like pirates. Aye, aye, mate. You know, you'd go around, and I remember one time we found this little uh, rectangular thing of bricks in the woods. You know, it's probably a foundation, honestly, for an old shed or something. But to us, it was like, oh my, this is the next great archaeological discovery. You know, we're going to excavate. We'll probably find bones and who knows what those are from and all kinds of pottery and arrowheads. So we run up to Dad's shed, grab a shovel, and about ten minutes later we're so tired we give up. You know, it's like treasure hunting for another day. We like dug two feet and that was it. You know, oh well, well maybe we'll find it elsewhere. But it was like X marks the spot. We're always looking for the next great adventure. Well, I don't know about you, but something about treasure hidden in Christ makes the Christian life really exciting to me. I want to know, what is the treasure? What are the deep things? Where do I find them? Um, there, there's so much in here. I know that, Lord, I can just discover what You have for me. And You put something in here that maybe I don't even know is there. You put something in me, a treasure of wisdom and knowledge that I want to tap into. I want to remind you also, in two weeks ago in my message... I would just want to emphasize that the way to discover these things comes through the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ living in us. Not necessarily through the soul realm primarily. That's secondary. The soul meaning your mind and your emotions, your feelings and your will. But as your spirit becomes so full of the Spirit of God and overflows the Spirit of God, oftentimes that Spirit of God, that glory, which He's destined for us, spills over into even our soul man to where you can begin to feel things. You can begin to think the things. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Thinking the thoughts of God. You can begin to know things. It's called words of wisdom. How many of you have ever heard of a word of wisdom? That's actually listed as a spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
word of wisdom, word of knowledge. If you're new, those are some of the words that maybe we throw out from time to time for healing. Like somebody here has got, you know, chronic sinus headaches or something, you know, and God's wanting, that's a word of knowledge. It's not just a thought that I just try to come up with or anybody else. It's something that God just just drops in your spirit and somehow your spirit man it's right here it's not as much here it's just right here you just know okay this has got to, this something there's something to this like let me give you an example on wednesday night we're in worship god said i've got something for somebody born in 1956 and then somebody else and i'm like 1950 okay lord i don't know what 1956 i mean that's kind of a weird how do i give that was what's the application for that and so i just kind of held on to it honestly sort of forgot about it and then later on in the meeting somebody else uh it was you you got a, a name and the name um then byron got this thing about persimmons and I, okay, I know if you weren't here, it sounds bizarre. But anyway, there were people up here receiving prayer. It's, there's a long story to that. But there were people up here receiving prayer, and um, and you thought that it was somebody. Uh, you, this is getting confusing. But anyway, all these things got connected, and her the name of a person she got happened to be the person born in 1956 that was represented up there and the Lord had something for that person. Did that make sense? So <laughs> it all it's like the spirit reveals little pieces. The Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part. So sometimes you just get little pieces of information that you don't really know what to do with that isolated piece. But somewhere along the line, God brings clarity on that piece, either through a word from somebody else, or like what happened on Wednesday, through another piece that somebody brought, or through some outside way, God, of communicating with you. How many have ever experienced that? You like get this worry, like, what does that mean? And then the next thing you know, you've, I don't know, you've seen a commercial on TV, and it's like, what? How could that, you know, whatever, just some bizarre way God could be speaking. So anyway, I don't know why I'm going off on that, but... I just felt like there was some juice there for somebody. All right, so 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, We have the mind of Christ. Everybody say, We have the mind of Christ. This first sentence here is actually a quote from Isaiah. Okay? Now let me say this. In Corinth, a Greek city-state, uh, Paul is initially, especially in 1 Corinthians, he's addressing a division in the church. A deep division. One guy's saying, hey, I'm with Apollos. Another guy's saying, well, I'm with Paul. I don't know who your Apollos guy is. The other guy's saying, well, I'm with Peter. You know, and then there's this feuding going on, and Paul's like, you guys are missing the boat. You guys are missing the point here. Because it's not about Peter or me or Apollos or anybody else. It's about Christ. We're all one in Christ, okay? So then he begins to address this situation of preaching and human wisdom versus godly wisdom or spiritual wisdom. Okay, are you following me? And towards the end of this um, thing on wisdom, which we're going to read in a few minutes, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But as I delve into the original languages and read some of the ancient theologians, most of the theologians agree that a better interpretation of that sentence is, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may teach it, or that he may teach it to other people, it being the mind of the Lord. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may teach it, he may instruct it, not him being God, but teach others. And then Paul tells us who. We. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ as born-again believers. All right, is everybody Okay. All right, now I want to just, I'm, I'm in my introduction here, you know, and sometimes a preacher's introductions can be longer than the actual message. But uh, I want to just lay a foundation here. Back in the, uh, a word of the Lord came to us in April from a recognized prophetic voice in America, a man named Larry Randolph. How many people were here when Larry was speaking to us? And if you remember... He came here, and the first thing he said in this particular message was, I've brought, God gave me a word for this church, 
for River Life Fellowship. So my ears perk up when somebody says that because that means for you, that means for me, that means we need to pay attention, especially not to belittle anybody else's, anybody else's word, but especially when somebody like Larry Randolph is, is speaking. And he said this, he said that God is making this a Solomon church. A kingdom of Solomon church, which of course was the third king of Israel in the Israeli monarchy. There was Saul, David, and then Solomon. And he gave three defining characteristics of Solomon and a Solomon church. And here's what they were. Number one, that Solomon was a man of peace and diplomacy. He had kings and queens from all over the world coming to him, wanting to know things, wanting to see his wisdom, wanting to see his wealth, wanting to recognize there was no wars during his reign as with his predecessors. Secondly, Solomon was a man of artistic creativity. Artistic creativity. He wrote over 3,000 parables, 1,000 plays, over 1,000 songs, The Song of Solomon is the most notable of the theatrical plays. And then just tons of other things. And as we're going to see in a few minutes, a lot of other stuff. Now, I don't want to just confine artistic creativity to those artistes in the body. You know, those painters and and, and the musicians and the photographers and the sculptors. As great as that stuff is, and it certainly includes that, absolutely. We need to reclaim that high place of the, the arts in society but also for you businessmen and businesswomen. How many teachers do we have in the room this morning like myself? How about stay-at-home moms? How many stay-at-home moms need some creative ideas? You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what field you're in or what area of expertise, you need creativity. Amen? The creative ideas sometimes can be the very things that break the yoke or put you over the hump. I believe God wants to release new forms of energy and new ways of of converting energy to counteract this crisis that we have in our nation. How many people believe that? It's right there. I believe it's right there in the heavenly realm. I believe God wants to draw it. Maybe it'll be you. Won't you be wealthy? (laughs) Because Larry also said that God, there's a transfer of wealth from the wicked to the righteous that's going to happen during this what he called a pregnant pause in between some of the moves of God he also said things like what we're seeing in Lakeland, Florida the healing outpouring there is a preview of what is coming a preview of what is coming God's bringing greater things and so we're in this pregnant pause in between certain periods and he went through those and explained those and that um What's coming will overshadow everything we've ever known before. He said, we're not headed to another revival, but this kingdom rule, the spirit world rule of Christ on the earth. The spirit world rule of Christ. Amen? I want to add to that one thing about Solomon, because I believe Solomon is an Old Testament example of possessing the mind of Christ. So it's like thinking like Solomon. How did Solomon see things? If you turn over to 1 Kings chapter 3 with me. Some of the scriptures will be up there on the screen, but if you're like me, it helps to see it in my Bible. It just carries a different anointing in my Bible. as i got it right there. <laughs> um, you know, in the story of Solomon, he takes over probably as a teenager from his, from his father David. And after some upheaval in the empire, he, uh, the Lord comes to him in a dream. Now, how many people have ever had a dream that was too good to be true? Like you had this dream and, you know, either you were really wealthy or you won the, lot, you know, won the lottery or, you know, whatever the case is. And then you woke up and you're like, oh, man, it was just a dream. You know, if only that were true. How many people have ever had a dream like that? Okay, there's a few dreamers like that in here. Well, Solomon had a dream. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 3 that the Lord actually came to Solomon in a dream. He said, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. You choose. Solomon said, Lord, I want wisdom. I want a discerning heart and know how to rule your people. 
And God said, ah, you've chosen wisely. And because he chose wisely, then he said, I'm going to give you not only wisdom, I'm also going to give you wealth and prestige among the nations. Just filthy wealth and prestige among the nations. And then it says in uh, chapter 3, verse, uh, where is it, verse 15, then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. Oh, man, it was just a dream. I could have had it all. No, somehow, and I can't explain this, but spiritually he grabbed hold of what was just a dream. Because what was just a dream actually happens, doesn't it? Hmm. I don't know about you. Maybe there's something to that. I'm going to look for the Lord to appear to me in a dream. And, and then it goes on to tell the story, and for the sake of time I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to tell it to you real quick, where he has his first real difficult court case, and uh, the Lord's downloaded this wisdom onto his hard drive so he gets a chance to use this new program. And the, the case is there's two prostitutes, two women who, have chil- who have, each have a baby. And they happen to be roommates. And as they're sleeping one night, one of the women um, accidentally rolls over on top of her baby and the baby suffocates and dies. Very frightened, scared, and not wanting to lose a child she goes and takes the other woman's baby and switches them, right? So as you can imagine, you got devastation and turmoil as they awake the next morning, and there's a lawsuit. You know, there's a court case brought before the king. So here I imagine, I don't know how old King Solomon was at this point, but a f- still fairly a young man, certainly. And he's got these two women feuding before him. Where one has lost a baby legitimately in the other and then there's one baby left what do you do bring me a sword brother that doesn't sound like a good idea you know bring me a sword I'm going to cut the baby in half this lady can have one half the other lady can have the other half that'll settle it does that sound like godly wisdom bring me a sword what are you kidding me of course the mother whose baby was still alive said, no, don't do that. Just give her the baby as long as the baby lives. And of course, that revealed to King Solomon who the real mother of the baby was, and he commanded that, that the baby be returned to the real mother. And then a very interesting quote here in verse 28. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given... They held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Wow, here's this young man. Here's this young man. He's got wisdom from God. What is this? Kind of reminds me of Jesus teaching in the synagogue. They're marveling. Like, isn't this Mary and Joseph's boy? What kind of wisdom is this that he's teaching with? This is, I believe, the wisdom that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 that we're going to get to here in just a moment. In 1 Kings 4, 29-34, after it lays out all the wealth that was kind of like the byproduct of, of the blessing of God on Solomon's life, which you probably know about, you know, all the camels, all the chariots and horses, 12,000 horses and all this. In verse 29 of chapter 4, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of wisdom, isn't it? Now, let me repeat. The reason I'm sharing this is because we, we got a word from the Lord that God wanted us to, to bring us into a kingdom of Solomon season. Renaissance was the, was the word that Larry used. Do you guys believe that? Does this seem impossible? Of course it does. That's why it's God. Because it's impossible. It should seem impossible. But let's just go with it in faith. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men in the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Egypt was the top dog intellectually. They, they had all the universities, the library, you know, at Alexandria, all that stuff. It's like saying, you know, greater than the wisdom here in Mooresville of Yale and Harvard and the Ivy League or something. He, he was wiser than any other man, including all these wise guys. 
and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. So it even went beyond his local community. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So not only was he a diplomat with the world, but he was also a botanist. He was a, bo uh, he was a biologist. He was a scientist. Where did he get all this from? It doesn't tell us anything about him studying under the great minds of the world. Did you notice that? It doesn't say anything that, you know, when this happened, I don't know. I mean, this could be describing Solomon's life, you know, when he was 85 years old or whatever. Well, he only reigned for 40 years, so I don't think so. So God's wisdom is far superior to man's wisdom. It, it, George Washington Carver said it like this, If you love something enough, it'll reveal its secrets to you. About that little legume that our boys enjoy at lunchtime, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. You know, they have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because a man believed sincerely that if you love something enough, it'll reveal your se its secrets to you. So, Savannah, I see you smiling. So you're enjoying peanut butter because of somebody's revelation of the wisdom that's available that Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians that Solomon is a foreshadowing of to be released on the earth. Now, could it be that this same wisdom wants to be poured out upon our generation? For you teenagers in here, I believe there's a wisdom beyond your years that's available. And here's the thing God showed me about that and the dreams that I mentioned a few minutes ago. Those things are available for those that seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these things. Everybody say, all these. All, including wisdom, shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. What's the kingdom? The spirit realm, God's world. Heaven come on earth. Your, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Seek first the kingdom and all these things else. So why are we emphasizing so much the spirit realm? Because Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. But if you view the kingdom in a different physical way, then that verse takes on a whole different meaning, doesn't it? I mean, I, I've read that verse since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I mean, since I was like, you know, really small and, you know, it's a popular Bible memory verse. And, but I never really thought about it until recently. Oh, that's what it is. The heavenly realm contains all the information that I need. It contains all the wisdom and knowledge. As I shared with you two weeks ago, it says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ, which is where? In you. In me. It's right here. It's right here. Everybody okay? Christ's wisdom and the power of God. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1, verse starting in verse 17. How am I doing on time? Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, if I'm going to preach a message up here this morning that's just leaning on logic, philosophy, uh, maybe some good um, logical arguments, I'm in danger, Paul's saying here, of emptying the cross of its power. He's going to explain why that is. Let's read on. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? The intellectual. Where is he? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of that what was preached to save those who believe. 
I love philosophy, believe it or not. I know not many people do, but me and Janet do. And Andy, I know them. We love philosophy. We love intellectual exercises, don't we? Janet's taught classes on logic, so that's all good things. It's all good stuff. But that in and of itself has never brought anybody to Christ. Only by the Spirit can somebody say Jesus is Lord. There has to be a spiritual birth, a spiritual recognition. So we find a principle here. One is master of the other, and one is the servant. Logic is the servant. Philosophy is the servant. The Spirit is the master. The problem is, many times with the spiritual matters, there aren't words to really adequately express them. There's almost just groanings. There's almost just, oh! You know, there's almost just... That it's just that it's hard to explain to somebody, isn't it? Have you ever been talking to an unbeliever and you, you just want so badly for them to get it, but they didn't get it? And it, you know you could talk to them until you're blue in the face, and they never get it. And then a year later, you say the same thing, and all of a sudden, bam, they get it. Well, what is that? You use the same words. The Spirit gave birth. Then the Spirit gave life to something. Now I want to say also, I was talking to Dylan. He's headed off to Johns Hopkins University. Yeah, in the fall. A very prestigious institution of higher learning, especially in the medical field. And so, immediately, Dylan, you'll have influence over the world system. So pay attention to that because he can use you like a Solomon or like a Joseph in that area. So you're born to rule. Just want to let you know that. But what we were talking about in the kitchen and beforehand is we were talking about, yeah, you know, going off to the wise and learned institutions. You know, these places that have elevated the mind so far superior that something like healing and miracles is just dismissed in the medical community as some, like, antiquated explanation for what we now know through medical science to be true. Like, they call it a demon, we call it epilepsy. You know, they say that it was this, and now we know. So, in other words, that was just like, in antiquity, an explanation for things. So Paul actually addresses this in the very next verse because he says, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and to Greeks. Why is it a stumbling block? Because I just gave you the example. The mind person cannot get past that. Everything's based on the scientific method. That's great and wonderful, but that's the servant. In fact, who can do the impossible? The Spirit being, right? God Himself can do the impossible, not the scientific method. On the other hand, you have the Jews. He refers to them as the Jews, which is the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Those that were so um, impacted by their religious mindset, their form and function, Jesus said, you think you know the Scriptures and it is life, but I tell you that in me you will find life. It's like they were so caught up in trying to find this physical kingdom that was going to be established. The kingdom of God was going to be a physical kingdom to deliver them from the Roman tyranny. And when they did not see that, they said, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? He's a heretic. He says he can forgive sins. So he's doing miracles. That's the devil. You know, and they're just like slamming him because he's doing all these works of the kingdom. But he meant an unseen spirit realm is coming on earth to establish its authority. But they thought it was a, a, a physical kingdom. And so they dismissed it. And so in the church today, we're influenced by those two spirits. We're influenced by the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age, the scientific naturalism, and we're influenced by the religious spirit, which says, well, that passed away 2,000 years, bro- bro- 2000 years ago, brother. The gifts passed with the apostles or the canonization of the Scripture or whatever, and so we have no need for these things, da 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 But Paul's saying, no, those things actually cause division. Those things actually stand in the way because Christ is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God I love this verse is wiser than man's wisdom did you know God was foolish I didn't, I didn't what is the foolishness of God it's, I think it's a play on words the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength 
Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. In other words, he's calling them fools. <laughs> Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You were stupid, you didn't have no money, and you weren't born into anybody's family. So who were you, is what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, just to put it bluntly. But here's the good news, Corinthians. God chose you. And see, when God chooses somebody, there's nothing that man can do to stand in the way. There's just, nobody's going to be able to stop Todd Bentley. You know, God's chosen this, to some annoying, tattooed Canadian evangelist to just shame the fool out of the wise and the learned among us. God's chosen us. I believe God's saying, I've chosen you, River Life Fellowship. I sent Larry. He gave you this word. Are you listening? Because I've chosen you right now to to reveal a wisdom. And it's not just for this room. That's where we'll miss the boat if we don't get this point. It's not just for this room. There are issues in our community that need an answer. Some of us in this room can provide that answer. Just like our nation needs an alternative source of fuel. There are people in the church that can provide that answer. There are business ideas that I know people in this room that are going after them and they're not going to be swayed by what people say. Like, I can't believe you're doing this. Addison. <laughs> uh, just, you know, all, and that's great because I believe God wants to use those things. I mean, I just, to, just to honor my father-in-law, Chuck, in 1985, he, started, he built this newfangled idea in Mooresville called a mini-storage. And, and everybody, he had these guys and these friends be like, mini, mini, what? What is a mini-storage? Never even heard of it. You know, didn't, like, laughed, basically. In so many words, they laughed. And just to say it bluntly, Chuck laughed all the way to the bank, you know. And now, I mean, it became very prosperous in the community. He established another one. And now he told me one day that now, several years later, of course, or 20 years later, some of the same guys have come and said, hey, how do I start one of these mini-storages? You know, so... I just, I just think Chuck tapped into something that human wisdom said, Brother, I don't know about this. You know? And, hey, the proof's in the pudding, so to speak, right? So there's, a, there's an element of risk. There's an element of boldness. Of course, we don't want to dissuade. It's not to speak against godly wisdom that can come from our elders and our peers and whatever. I'm, I, don't, I hope you're not misunderstanding me. Is everybody Okay. But God chose the foolish things, like the continental militias, the, the colonial militias, just foolish, just boys, just older farmers. Had no, they had like, when they were going in this battle, each of them had like seven rounds on their person to fire. And Washington's like, we're doomed, you know? I mean, they had nothing, but God chose them. I'm going to bring down the greatest empire on the planet. The sun never sets on the British Empire. That's how vast it was. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not. Maybe we need to be careful what we despise in our hearts. To nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. There it is, Christ has become for us the wisdom. It's His wisdom. It's in us. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, and with much trembling, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, no, we speak of God's secret wisdom. This is where it really gets good. 
verse 7. Just delve into this with me here. See if, see if something doesn't just spark in your spirit. You could chew on this for a couple weeks. We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory. You mean there's a glory that's destined for me? It's a glory? Well, it's not my glory. It's Christ's glory. But the glory happens to reside in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 For your glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. I believe Paul's talking about the Ephesians 6.12 rulers of this age. The principalities, rulers, powers of this age. For if they knew about this glory that was then going to become manifest in you, they wouldn't even kill Jesus. Because He was just the one guy. But now the glory has come inside of you. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that exciting? We, however, as it's written... No eye has seen. He's, he's, he's quoting from the Old Testament again. No ear has heard. No mind has even conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all these things. No mind has even seen or heard or conceived what God's prepared for you. Seek first the, His world. Go after His kingdom come on earth now as it is in heaven. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. He himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may teach it, the mind of the Lord, to others? But we, but you have the mind of Christ. So let me just conclude with a few practical applications here of this. What are some of the thoughts of Christ? What are the keys in thinking the thoughts of Christ? Okay? What are some of the thoughts of Christ? Well, it's those thoughts that when you have these glimpses of heavenly glory, where you step outside of your own worries and your own fears and your own concerns and your own judgments and your own preconceived notions and your own religious mindsets and all this, all you get a heavenly, like, soaring with the eagle perspective where you just, I just love people. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, I just love that person. I feel the compassion of God for people. I just understand what this is saying here in the Scripture. Like I didn't understand it yesterday. Jesus said, I do only what I see my Father doing. That's a thought of Christ. He's thinking, oh, I, you know, here's what I do, guys. I, just, I do what I see Dad doing. So what's the implication? The implication is, I can see and know what my Father's doing. See, I don't think a lot of you guys believe that. Like, you don't think that you, like maybe Matthew can, maybe Byron, and maybe Benny Hinn, but other than that, you know, it's kind of limited. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you don't think that you can know what the Father's doing. But what I'm telling you is, as the Spirit of God overflows and consumes you, You'll know, and you'll know, and you'll know more, and you'll know more, and you'll know more, and you'll know more. This is the generation. There is a very dangerous generation coming up with our kids. I'm telling you, I mean dangerous in a good way, a good kind of dangerous. They're so dangerous, some of us, including myself, are going to have to be like, Wow, Lord, hallelujah. Bless them, God. Help them, Lord. Because I'm hearing these young preachers. You remember a few months ago, God said there's a new preacher being released? I'm hearing some, I think, I mean, I, don't, I can't say this as an authority, but I've heard some of these new guys that people are saying, you know, I don't know if the church is ready for you. I mean, just, just in the sense of not because they're, uh, they're preaching something that's not known, but they're having so many encounters with, like, Jesus appearing to them, um, there's this one gentleman I heard of recently who God told them there was a comet that was going to come into the 
atmosphere. We're gonna, gonna come into the what do you call it? The uh, yeah, that yeah, something. The the orbit. Yeah. Anyway, and and Na- uh, and he and God said um, NASA doesn't know about this, but when it comes, it's going to be a sign of what I'm going to do with this generation. And he, I mean, he told some trusted people about this. I don't know how public it was. It was not, not named anything. And then sometime later, I don't know how much time passed, NASA announced publicly they had discovered a new comet. You know, I mean, just things like this, like, what? I, I was not even aware of such things at 15 years old. You know, I mean, it's like our, our ceiling is truly going to be becoming their floor. You know, it's going to be go, going so much further, so much higher with these things. Yeah, because if you're bold enough to believe that anyone who has faith in Jesus will do what he's been he had been doing and even greater than these things. I mean, there's actually people who believe that. Can you believe? I mean, isn't that amazing? Like they're actually going, yeah, we're going to do even greater things, and then they're doing it. And everybody's like, well, brother, you know, you know, let's have some wisdom here, you know, and all this and like. What? And, um, you know, another thought of God might be, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Because I can do all things through Christ in me, who strengthens me. So that's why I can do impossible things. That's pretty cool. My kids love to hear David and Goliath's story. So I'm going through it for the 115th time last night. And then this morning I'm reading... In I think it's First Chronicles 20, and it says that then the men of David, his men went out and they slayed all these other men, like uh, the the giants related to Goliath. And then uh, David's nephew killed Goliath, uh, killed another guy with like six fingers and six toes and all this stuff. And it just really jumped out at me because it was an, an illustration of that principle I just mentioned. David's ceiling became his nephew's floor. Nobody dared approach the giants before David. He was out there for 40 days taunting them, and nobody was brave enough until this little shepherd boy that looked like Gabe comes walking up with his slingshot, you know? And he slays the giant, and then there was so much faith release in the atmosphere. Oh my gosh, Yahweh can do this? We can do anything. And so they, they just become giant killers. They just wipe out the whole tribe, you know, of giants. That was unheard of. All right. Last thing. What are the keys? Walking in the spirit of adoption. We've heard tons about that. Solomon knew who he was, the son of Yahweh, Jehovah, and whom he was, whose he was, the son of King David. He knew he, was a, he had a kingly line, a kingly lineage. We are kings and priests in Christ. Amen. Let's walk in that spirit of adoption. We need to break off the poverty spirit. That's number two. Take it from the riches of Solomon. It's not that we're seeking the riches. We seek the kingdom and all these things. That includes riches. We'll follow. That includes the provision, the finances that are needed in the kingdom. So walk in the spirit of adoption. Break off the poverty spirit. And third and last, keep our minds at rest and I don't know if this is a word or not, but decluttered. Like defragged. You know how you defrag your computer? Defrag your mind. Take time to wait on the Lord. Take time to rest. Just clear your mind of everything, all your worries. Lie down, sit quietly, put on some worship music or silence or whatever. We need to reclaim the art of meditation and contemplation and meditative and, and contemplative prayer. We need to go to things like Romans chapter 8 and say, For the Spirit that made me a slave again to fear, I didn't receive that, but I received, I received the Spirit of sonship. And I cry out, Daddy. And I'm an heir with God and a co-heir with Christ. We need to meditate on those things that the very Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. That's why I can do all things through Christ. I can do impossible things because that Spirit lives in me. Keeping our minds decluttered and at rest, Isaiah 40, 30 and 31, would be a great thing to meditate on. Let me close with this. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait, everybody say wait, 
When you get, have a decision to make, don't get in a hurry. Seems like God's usually late, but He's not. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Man, let's stand up. That's some really good news this morning, Matthew. Really, our future's so bright, we have to wear shades, man. Hi, I'm Debbie Tebow. I don't know if most of you read on the prayer line about my son. Uh, He does have cancer. It has been confirmed. He's going into surgery on the 14th. Uh, They're going to take it out. Um, My husband had a colonoscopy first of the week. It was clean, so he is doing great. And my son is in a change in his life, and I just ask for your continued prayer for him that God will come through and become more of a part of his life than it has been in the last 10 years. And I just thank you so very much for your prayers. Well, that just opens the door for demonstrations of power, right? So uh, here's what we're going to do. I believe that uh, there's, there's others in here, like the Tebos, that uh, need our prayers. And, and so if you have a need in here today and you want to receive uh, a miracle, a healing miracle, uh, if I could get the ministry teams to come on up and get ready to start ministering. Backs. I want to pray for backs. Yeah. So, um, and so if, if you all ministry team could stand in front of the stage, because I've got to do one more thing, too. Um, we're going to take communion this morning and I felt led in the first service to say this about communion is that when we take communion you really have to remember it's not a religious rite it's, it's not, it is an institution but it's not meant to be religious it really is it's a celebration of love it's a celebration of what the Lord's love did for us and we in turn get to bask in that love. We get to soak in that love. So, um, I'm going to pray a corporate prayer. But as you go forth to take communion, y'all can go to that side and y'all can go to this side. Um, Just minister love to each other this morning. Minister love to your family. If you haven't told your wife or your husband that you like them, tell them that you like them. You know? Uh, if, if you've got hardness in your heart. One of the things the Lord has been teaching me is we need to be more tender towards each other. Like He's really been getting me on that. He's, ta- he's peeling some layers off of me and teaching me how to be tender. Because really the true me is tender. Yeah, it's hard to believe. But that's, that's who I really am. And the Lord is trying to make that, get that to come out. You know? Yeah, that's the Christ in me. Yeah. So as you go to to do the ceremony of love, just minister love to your family. And I just, I just feel like even, you know, in response, I was just, as Matthew was speaking, I was feeling like, Lord, I feel like there's even a response to this, what you're saying and desiring this wisdom and desiring for your kingdom to be released in and through us. And I just feel like the response is, Lord, I'm available. I am available. I'm saying I'm available to you, you know, and and I am the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Lord, I qualify. I qualify. You know, we all qualify. You know what I mean? Lord, we qualify because we're yours. We can know whose we are, who we are, and whose we are. We're his. So we qualify flat, you know, and we can say, Lord, I'm yours. So, Lord, I'm asking you in right where I'm at in my life, For you to release creativity. For you to release your wisdom. For you to let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let heaven come because we're desperate for you. We are a generation that's desperate to hear the voice of the Lord and to be able to obey and walk it out and to see His kingdom come. And so I even think as we take communion that we can say, Lord, we remember what You've done. We remember the power that dwells within us the resurrection power that really does dwell within us. And so, Lord, we say, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe in You. 
I believe your kingdom desires to come. Your will, your perfect will be done in me, Lord. And I say, I believe. Help any area of unbelief, Lord. Let faith rise up. Lord, let faith be stirred up in us, Lord. And let your perfect will be done in us, Lord God. We surrender and we say we're available. We are available to be used by you, Lord God. We are available for you to reveal the riches to reveal the hidden mysteries of Yourself to us, Lord God. Let it be done. Let it be so, Lord Jesus. So what we're going to do is, I'm going to pray a corporate prayer, and then I invite you to come up and take communion. And then, uh, if, if please, don't leave. If you need prayer for anything, I don't care how small it is, if you have just a little worry, come up and get get prayer get get some soaking prayer come jump in the river and we but but if you have to leave um you know we just want to say thank you for being with us here this morning if if you're if this is your first time here we've really enjoyed spending time with you and we hope to see you again so father thank you for the blood that was shed because of love for the body that was broken because of your heart for people for us corporately as, as a church, but also for us individually as sons and daughters created in the image of God. Let your love be released in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So go ahead and just with your family, just come forward to either side. There's, there's bread and wine on either side. If you need prayer, come on up. There's folks available to lay hands on you, pray for you, encourage you, bless you, tell you how awesome you are.